Before we start with this week's podcast, let me introduce you to our newest sponsor, Peterson Toyota. Their slogan is everything cars made easy. They've done it for more than 52 years in Fort Collins, mastering knowing what people want from a car dealership, and they've built their business around it. Peterson is Northern Colorado's largest automotive dealership, and yet they care for each and every customer for the lifetime of their vehicle needs. You can expect high quality vehicles at the right price and great customer service. This family-owned business proudly serves the communities of Fort Collins, Greeley, Windsor, Loveland, Longmont, and all the surrounding communities in Northern Colorado. They're a loyal CSU uh, supporter, and we couldn't be more proud to have them as a RamNation.com partner. So if you're in the market for a new or used vehicle, make sure you give Peterson Toyota first shot at your business. Thanks for your support. Welcome, everybody, to Ram Nation Radio. Another week. We are 0-1 to start the college football season, unfortunately. Um, not the best start to the to the college football year for CSU Rams. Not a great debut for Coach Adazio and staff last week as uh, Rams fell by three touchdowns on the road at Fresno State. Unfortunately, our worst fears came true in the fact that uh, just weren't sharp made too many mistakes, uh, got down early. And, you know, the surprise start of quarterback Todd Santeo didn't necessarily go as planned. So the positive is, is that you, you often see some pretty good improvements from week one to week two. And that's what we are hoping for this Thursday as uh, the 2020 border war kicks off at Canvas Stadium. So the team landed at 4 a.m., on uh, Thursday night after the game, kids went home, coaches went immediately to work, put in their uh, game plan for the border war, uh, then came in Saturday morning, had their usual, which would have been their Tuesday prep day. Uh, on Sunday, they had what would have been their usual Wednesday prep day. They've only had three practices <laughs> since uh, that first game. They practiced Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, and they're off today. Everyone's off today for election day. Pretty minimal preparation for this border war to, to iron out some of the kinks. So who knows, but uh, Adazio called them very good practices, very physical, which he deemed, you know, he always, he's been speaking that he really wants to be physical in practice. He thinks it's necessary to, to build this, this program, but uh, Mike, I know we've talked off air since then, but what were your thoughts of uh, the opener? Some good takeaways and some bad takeaways. I don't know, man. I mean, I guess we should start with the bad and, and end with good, right? I mean, isn't that you always want to hear uh, the good news last, right? Yeah. I think one of my biggest issues with Coach Bobo was his inability to to change, his inability to to make uh, game time adjustments. It was great in script in those first twenty plays, but then after that, I mean, he just was lost. And I thought having an experienced coach and an experienced staff come in that we would kind of go away from that. But, man, it was just we didn't see that on last Thursday. Uh, you look at those first three drives on offense, you looked pretty good. Got 10 points out of it, three drives. Uh, got in the red zone twice. But you could really see that third drive when Citeo had – you know, those two two big runs on the, on the read option. They were almost centered down. 
just started packing the box. And we couldn't move the ball, and we ended up with a field goal, uh, even though I mean, first and goal inside the 10, and we just couldn't get a score. And instead of like, man, we gotta we gotta adjust to them being in the box, we gotta be able to throw, let's put in POB. It did happen. And for the next full two, two and a half quarters, we couldn't move the ball at all. I was hoping to see something different. And then again, and by this time you were over. Oh, we were watching it uh, in the garage. I mean, third and long, every time you looked at our DBs, we were 15, 20 yards off the line of scrimmage, giving them giving them that huge cushion. And every time they'd get that ball just before the first down and either make that move to get the first down or they'd pick up all but a yard and then get it on fourth down. We look good on first and second. We're getting third and longs, and that's what your defense wants. And then it was prevent, you know, and I talked to, you know, a former former player, a buddy of mine, Vincent Booker, who played for Coach Heater under Earl Bruce, and he said that he, he played safety at that time, said we used to do the exact same thing 30 years ago, where we'd get third and long, and all of a sudden we're playing 15, 20 yards off the ball, and we were giving up the first downs. And I, it was something I really thought we'd see an adjustment after the first couple times, but no, I mean, it just seemed like every drive was the same thing. We stop them on first down on a run, get a sack or, or a tackle for a loss on second down, and then boom, third long, first down. Yeah, that was frustrating, Mike. The big plays, especially when the quarterback got out of the pocket regularly, he kind of extended the play given the receivers and they got some talented receivers, the, the opportunity to get open. That was really frustrating uh, because otherwise the defensive line played pretty well, uh, but there was the repeated lapses of covering the guy out of the backfield. Just uh, not, not a lot of in-game adjustments, at, at least not very quickly. You know, I thought, uh, you know, I was listening to Adazio's press conference on Monday. He praised the defensive line, praised the offensive line, he said he thought the backs ran hard. He thought both QBs made plays, but that it was a simple issue of too many execution errors on both sides of the ball that were the difference in the game. And, you know, he did reference the fact that uh, on defense, they gave up five third and longs. Um, and then on, on offense, uh, well, that resulted in Fresno keeping the ball for 36 minutes in the game. You know, on the, on the other side of that, on offense, CSU only had the ball for 24 minutes but ran 77 plays during that time and had almost 400 yards of offense. Um, and then what he called two should have been easy completions that would have been touchdowns and put the Rams up, uh, up to 31 points. So, you know, he really kind of minimized the mistakes in the game. And I, I, you know, I have to think it's a little bit strategic in his messaging is that he's trying to uh, keep confidence, um, not let the team get down too much. And, you know, they did have some things work against them in camp leading up to the season. They had a lot of uh, people in quarantine. He said they had had an average of 15 to 20 guys out per day. Uh, they had can't practice cancellations due to smoke, uh, air quality. They didn't have a single scrimmage uh, in camp leading up to the season. So there's a lot. I mean, what, what can you truly expect out of a team? I know we all would have just loved to be pleasantly surprised and have them come out and and look great and and steal a win, but uh, you saw, 
you know, how bad Fresno looked in their first game against Hawaii. They got completely blitzkrieged, but they had a completely different showing against us. They cleaned up a lot of things. Um, so it was interesting to hear the the super positivity from, from Adazio. But I think, Mike, what's bothering me, I don't like this playing coy with the quarterback situation. You know, I, I never have really thought there was much advantage to trying to be sneaky and hiding who your quarterback is. And, you know, he even said to this week, yesterday, that he wasn't going to divide, divulge this week's starter. So uh, he did say, we've got a plan. We know who it's going to be. He even said there'd be a good chance we see both. But this kind of sneaky QB strategy reminds me a lot of in 2006 when CU surprisingly started Bernard Jackson, who was a running quarterback. And Caleb Haney and the Rams ended up winning that game 14 to 10. CU could not move the ball at all. And yes, it surprised the Rams for maybe two series when, when Jackson, you know, was able to pick up some key yards and first downs with his feet. But once the staff figured out he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn throwing the ball, they keyed on him and they, they stacked the line and, and, and stopped the running game and forced him to beat him with the pass. And so that, that obviously didn't work out very well for CU that day. And just like the surprise start of Todd Santeo the other night didn't work out for us. I mean, we were getting kind of giddy the first few series, right? Because he looked good running the ball. He runs and some key first downs. But once Fresno State realized he wasn't completing passes downfield, we couldn't move the ball at all. So, um, you know, I was frustrated by how many passes he missed on. But, you know, he clearly brings something to the table with his ability to run. And if that's the guy they wanted to go with, fine. You know, I'm 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 okay with being bold and making a, a decision like that, but you you know as well as I do that they stuck with him far too long in that game. What what did they bring in Patrick O'Brien with seven minutes left in the game? We're down four touchdowns at that point. You know, so you've got yeah. to make that move earlier and give the veteran senior quarterback a better chance to see if he can rally the team. You know, he put up that TD late. I think it was the second drive of the game. I think he only got three possessions, part of three possessions maybe. Um, just didn't yep. give him enough time. What's worrisome is that the staff just – how do you not have the feel of that game just to know, like, this just isn't going to happen with this quarterback today. Maybe it's just off. Maybe he's just off today. But regardless, the guy wasn't getting it done. You got to make that switch sooner and give your team a chance. Well, you, I mean, you look at our field goal possession. You know, again, I, I, I just brought it up. I mean, they started packing the box as soon as we got in the red zone because they, they just knew that that was his play. That was It was him with the read option, and he was going to keep it. Or, I mean, I, and I thought our two backs looked pretty good running the ball. But on that third down play, he had uh, McElroy wide open. Didn't even see him, but he had, still had the other tight end, and it had him wide open. And the commentators even brought it up. If he makes – I mean, that's a throw he's, he's got to make. The guy was wide open, and he put it three yards into the ground in front of him. I mean, yeah. it wasn't even close. And then later it, he sailed McBride out of the end zone by five yards over his head. Yep. And those, those are two TDs that are just – they should be automatic for a Division one quarterback. Yeah. Exactly. The poster JCL 508 on Ram Nation made a, a pretty good point because we were all a little bit down on the performance of the quarterback. Uh, but but the post that he pointed out says, you know, if you look at Bradley Van Pelt's numbers from his first season in 2001, 
you know, there were some pretty ugly stats of his own. I mean, the, the first game that he came in after DJ Bush melted down, Bradley completed three of nine passes for 49 yards. Uh, the next game against Nevada, four of six passes for 77 yards, six of 13 for 77, 11 of 21. I mean, it goes on and on. It was a, not a real impressive season for him, but what he did bring to the table that year was, you know, even when he was struggling, he just had a knack for making plays at big times with his feet or whatnot. And, and, you know, he wheeled that team, even though it what, what was seven and six, I think we finished and went and won a bowl game, the New Orleans Bowl. But, you know, so you, you can't just rail on Todd Santeo and say this is not the answer. I mean, he, he did some good things. He missed some passes. But you know what? He also should have had a couple other big passes that were caught, but our receivers dropped them. So, you know, I don't think it's a it's where you come out and say this kid should never start again. But I do think that your coaching staff kind of has to have a feel like, look, it is not going well for him this game. We need a guy who can zip the ball down the field because we're running out of time. And right now, Todd has not proven that he can do that, at least not today. So that's where I that's where I have an issue with. You've got to recognize that and have that feel in game, which we've we've railed on Bobo for a long time because it just didn't seem like he had the right feel in games. Like when you know it's slipping away, you know, you can't punt. All right. When there's five minutes left and you haven't stopped someone all day, don't punt when you're down, you're already down more than a touchdown. So those are the kind of things like I feel that you feel that. Why can't our coach like sense that, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's one of those, I mean, they always say if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks, but we've, we've seen in the past some success. Uh, I mean, you go back to 95, um, we started off with Darren Wilkinson, then we went to Moses, then we went back to Darren. And then we, you know, one of the things is, is Sonny saw that Moses was the future. So he went with Moses uh, to the end and, you know, and we won the WAC title. Um, you look back to when, I mean, you just brought it up, DJ and, and BVP, that wasn't working. Yeah. We, we squeaked through with a six and five regular season and then and then went to the New Orleans Bowl and, and won that to finish seven and five. But it was – they made the decision with 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 uh, Bradley, and they, and they stuck with it. And, and they saw after those first three or four games, you know, it just wasn't working out trying to play two quarterbacks. But then you go to 2003, and Sonny was doing a really – I, I like the way that Sonny was giving Holland a series or two a game. Uh, I mean, if he was he was going to be the quarterback of the future, um, he didn't want him just sitting out completely. But he so he's given him those those uh, one or two series, so he can he can get that game time experience. And he and you know he played some big games that that year in in two thousand in two thousand three. And and you know you can say why well, you know you know the rest of his career ended up being at CSU. But I mean he was he was a, a prolific passer. I mean he threw up a ton of yards. And then you look at the last two years or the last three years with, with CSU and Bobo and, and Colin Hill. First it was, well, is it going to be Bouda, Hill, Stevens, and just never settled on one until they finally did, and then we started winning games. And then the next year uh, it was just Stevens. And then the year after that it was it was going to be Hill or no, it's going to be Carter Samuels. You know, Carter Samuels is named the starter. Hills named a, a captain. You didn't have any direction from the staff on who who is the quarterback, 
and it looked like it throughout the year. And then, you know, last year, Hill's a starter, and then he gets hurt, and P.O.B. comes in. I mean, it was almost out of spite that he had to play him, you know. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, you can look back and, and compare the numbers with Bradley, but, I mean, Bradley was an NFL quarterback, you know. He, I mean, he played in the league for four years, and I just don't, I don't know if that's what we have right now. So here we are again. We are two days before kickoff. Nadazio has said he's not going to name publicly our starting quarterback this week. He said they do know who they're going to start. Probably going to see them both play. Is this good or bad? I mean, is, do you really gain an advantage by not naming a starter? I was listening to Craig Bowles press conference yesterday and he said, you know, he, he saw some good things out of Centeo. It brings a lot to the table from a running standpoint. He's going to, he said, we're going to have to prepare for that, but we'll also be ready for, for Patrick O'Brien. But this Wyoming team, pretty stout defensively, and they do a good job stopping the run. You know, so the whole thing, the whole thing behind Centeo being named the starter last week is because they felt like they would have to run the ball. They felt like they could run the ball against Fresno State and that he would give the best opportunity to do that. Now against Wyoming, do you just look at this and say, well, Wyoming's good at stopping the run. We're going to have to pass the ball, so now we should go to POB this week? I mean, I mean, it's uh, – Adazio got a little bit snarky on a, a press conference uh, after the game and, and said uh, – when someone asked him about, you know, why they had picked Todd over Patrick and what they would do going into next week, and he goes, well, I don't make decisions based on the year. I make them week to week. Like, really, we're going to make it the quarterback decision week to week? You know, I, I don't truly think he meant that. He was just kind of a little frustrated after the game. But I don't know, man. I don't like this uh, shuffling quarterbacks thing. Like you said, if you've got two, you don't have any. And I don't know. I That was not an ideal start. I thought Kevin Lytle had a good column that kind of pointed out the challenges that putting these two guys as two quarterbacks in this situation has, presents now. Do you fracture the team? You know, you've got, you've got a senior returning quarterback who's naturally a leader because he's a quarterback position. And you've got probably some fellow seniors that may not have agreed with the decision to, to start Todd. And, you know, obviously with the way that the game, everyone's would be totally on board if we went and he smoked everybody and we rolled to a win, but we just got pounded by a very average Fresno state team. And uh, their former starting senior quarterback is on the bench, <laughs> you know, so I could see, and I actually brought this up last week when you and I talked, I, I think something like that problems you know winning cures a lot but you know you start losing again man this team could to, could slide quickly well especially whenever <laughs> I mean you look at what Pat did last year against Fresno you know you look at what our receivers did last year against them and whenever you are completely one-dimensional it, it takes so much out of your playbook I mean we're all we are all excited about you know we want to see what what coach Lynch is 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 going to bring like the mix between the ground and pound and, and airing it out that he, that he had at Ball State. I mean, it just turned in quickly that, I mean, we just had to run the ball. And, and when they're packing the box the way they are and putting a spy on him, so taking away that read option, I mean, you, you just turned so one-dimensional and just knowing that, you know, those passes aren't going to get completed, it it takes everything away. You. You know, when you have somebody who can pass, you can pass to set up the run. And, you know, when you're facing a, a team like Wyoming, who, you know, I watched I watched their game Friday night and 
and Hawaii gassed Fresno State the week before rushing. And that quarterback, you know, really kind of, again, the, that read option just gassed him. I mean, Wyoming just stuffed it. And it was cold and, and their second time on the mainland, and, and I get it, but, I mean, Wyoming stuffed him. If we can't, if we can't run the ball, you know, and we can't pass the ball, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't, I mean, we have to score points. We had 10 points last Thursday with our dual threat quarterback. Do you put any, and I'm, I'm always looking at the positives and trying to talk myself into thinking that things aren't as bad as they seem, but there, there is something to do with when you're missing that many guys from practice to practice. And I, from what I heard, almost their entire offensive line was out at one point, right? So it's hard to develop those guys. You know, you're missing your, your number one weapon on offense last week, which, by the way, you could tell Adazio was irked by that. I think he was a little upset with the medical staff or whatever the protocols were that forced him to miss that game because basically it was just contact tracing. He wasn't even sick. Uh, and he had to sit out a full 14 days. So if the game would have been on Friday, he technically could have played. And so he was one day off of that. Um, and apparently I think McBride I had heard uh, was also in contract contact facing for a little bit. And I think he came back just uh, a couple days prior to, to uh, that first game. So, you know, just that you could tell he was a little upset by, by the decision made to not allow Dante to play. But, uh, but anyway, you had practice being canceled. You didn't have time for a scrimmage even, um, you know, you're missing Dante, right? You were missing Ty McCullough. And so yeah, we missed our first game. You know and, we missed, and we missed our first game. So we didn't have the opportunity to shake off some of the rust, to go through live action, to really get the, you know, tackling was off, tackling was poor. Um, and, and, you know, you saw how Fresno looked really bad in their opener and they looked a lot better in their second game. So, you know, hopefully you got hope on the ha- the fact that we will get some things cleaned up, but we just got, it was just painful to see all the reasons that we lost under Bobo kind of rear their ugly head again. Um, but do you think, I mean, do you think there is a reason to be hopeful or, or are you like, you know, here we go again. This just doesn't seem like this is shaping up. I, I liked the way our D line played, we stuffed the run other than a couple kind of busted plays uh, and missed tackles on the edge. You know, they Fresno really didn't rush run, run the ball on us. Um, I thought we put good pressure on their quarterback. We got, we got a few sacks. I don't, I don't think we've seen sacks like that for a few years, you know, um, I thought we got after their quarterback pretty pretty well, and and even even those like that touchdown, their first touchdown throw, uh, it was one of those. You know, he just got escaped, getting sacked, got outside the pocket, and we end up having a, a a linebacker completely out of position trying to cover the back. You know, on a on a wheel route to the back of the end zone, and and they were able to score on it. But I, I like that. I, I, you know, I thought our, our front seven looked pretty good. Um, I think our safeties didn't, our defensive backs didn't look horrible, but, you know, I don't think they were put in a position to, to be challenged. I mean, whenever everything's in front of you, 
you know, you're not going to get beat. So, I mean, they, they tackled well. Um, so, I, you know, there's things that I liked about the defense. You know, there's things, again, uh, Trey McBride with a monster game, a monster game. And, again, and, you know, it's one of those things that we talked about when we interviewed him. You know, he just has this, you know, rapport with, with Pat. And it was like as soon as he got in, I mean, he's making catches across the middle, scoring long touchdowns. I mean, it was it was things that I thought that needed to happen sooner during the game. Um, I didn't think our O-line looked too bad. Again, I mean, Toddy, I mean, he had some great runs. Our um, That read option that we ran, I mean, I, I thought our two running backs were looking good. I thought he was looking good. But it was as soon as Fresno adjusted, we, we weren't getting those seams open like we had in the, you know, the first – three series, but I like, I like that. You know, I, I really think you can play these two quarterbacks and have success. I mean, you come in, I mean, you saw it with Fresno, you know, they, they benched their starting quarterback for the third series and you could just see, you know, how he, how he reacted, you know, and, and how the team reacted when that happened. So I think, you know, I think there's a lot of pieces that, that, that are there to work with. And, and having McCulloch and, and right back I, will definitely help. I mean, when you have one of the most dynamic playmakers, you know, in college football and Dante Wright, I mean, a freshman All-American, I mean, when you lose him, it's going to hurt no matter no matter who the quarterback is. So coming off of a 2-13 and 13 stretch-ish, whatever our record was against rivals under Bobo, just awful. And uh, one of the first things that Adazio said when he was hired was how important these rivalry games are going to be. I thought it was interesting. I was listening to Toby McBride on a press conference. He said when Adazio contacted him to kind of recruit him into coming back to the team, you know, one of the things that Toby said he specifically asked was, coach, what, what are your, you know, what are your thoughts on rivalry games? And, you know, the, the answer that he got was more than satisfactory to Toby. You know, this is what college football is all about. We're going to stress them. You know, this is, we, we need to win these games. It's what it's most important to our, to our fan base. And so that was all Toby needed here. He wanted to come back. And you know, he said that in years past, he has called out his own teammates and said, look, man, look at these guys on our field over there holding the boot, chanting, it sucks to be a CSU Ram. <laughs> You know, and he goes, I, it, we have to have the mentality to not let that happen again. So, you know, I, I am hoping that all other things aside, execution, guys coming out and doing their part of the field, that all has to happen. But I, we have got to see some passion from our football team when they take the field and just go all out like this is a war, right? It's the border war. But our team has just been, it just have not had that edge in this game or any other rivalry game. You know, where you just look at like here, they're ready to go, you know, and I, I hope that they can set the tone and let some of that, uh, you know, rivalry edge uh, about them kind of take over. They're not going to have a fan base behind them, so they're going to have to manufacture it themselves. But, you know, I am really hopeful. I'm kind of this is one of the other things aside from the fact that we're hopefully improving from week one to week two. But I'm really hopeful that, you know, this group of players, this group of seniors and this coaching staff that is said all the right things in regards to to rivalry games. I'm hoping that they come out and bring their A game uh, because if you fizzle in this game, man, you will quickly lose the fan base who already was leery of the hire. 
And we all talked ourselves into thinking, okay, this guy's going to work out. I like the way he talks. He seems like a good leader. I think he could do good things here. But you get waxed in your first game. If you come out and get waxed by your most hated rival on your own field, again, I think there's going to be fans jumping shit for real fast. Yeah. Which is unfortunate, but he needs some time to build this program. But that that cannot happen. You better at least compete in this game. See 100% effort and, and you know your A game. If it's not good enough, then that sucks. But at least you would have seen something you could be proud of. And, and last week, we did not see that. We did not. We did not. It was uh, it was tough. You have you got to take this season with a grain of salt. Again, I mean, we all know, you know, we were behind the eight ball coming into the season with the investigation and and having football operations suspended. Um, you know, not finishing spring ball, even though we got you know half our practices in. You know, you're still coming in with a new coach and and then the fires in Northern Colorado, the just having kids not being able to get on the field because of protocol, COVID protocol, and then missing that first game, you know, in New Mexico. And we talked about it, you know, when we previewed the season that, that, that New Mexico game was, was the perfect game for us to start with, with a new, uh, new coach and possibly a new quarterback. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have that. And, and that would have helped. It would have helped. <laughs> yeah. Tremendously, tremendously. You know, you come out, you get a win and you, you clean up those mistakes. You know, I don't last week doesn't happen, but it did. It did. And so now we got to move on. And, and you were talking about a short week. Well, we, we are on a full seven days compared to Wyoming. They're on six days. And, you know, I watched some of their game, uh, most of their game on, on Friday night, their offense was not good. Yeah. They, they scored more points it was a defense-dominated game, and if we can move the ball on them at all, I think our defense, again, going back to I like the way we stopped the run outside of a few broken broken plays against Fresno. I mean, we show any kind of offense. I mean, we can take that game. I think you're going to have to be a lot more balanced. You're going to have to be able to complete some passes downfield no matter who the quarterback is because I think that Toddy is a he he can be a weapon, man. He really can. The way he ran, he's got some speed. He trucked a couple guys and he actually threw a decent ball. I mean, I, I know people were exaggerating saying this guy just his ball is ugly, just can't throw. You know, he actually made some good passes. A couple of them were dropped, a couple of them just were a little bit off. But, you know, if he can get that together, you know, he could be he could be pretty solid. I I, I but they, he's gonna have to. I mean, they have to complete some passes downfield early on in that game and keep their this defense honest. I think as much as you'd like to give Centeo another chance, I just don't think with the urgency of needing to win this game, a big rivalry game, I think you're probably going to go back to Patrick O'Brien, the returning senior starter from last year, and give him the chance to uh, lead this team from the opening kickoff. I've heard as much. I, I think that's what we're going to see Thursday night. I want to tell you about Mighty River Brewing Company. They've got more than a dozen fresh beers on tap, including the Autumn River Pumpkin Yam Beer, the Riverfest Marzen German Lager, the Hewlett Gulch Hefeweizen, and their new collaboration brew with Matador Mexican Grill. Chili beer, strawberry, jalapeno golden ale, delicious. Get in there and try these beers. 
support these guys. The weather's supposed to be beautiful through the weekend this week. So the patio is going to be open. They'll have food trucks on hand. Beers are going to be flowing. And as always, show RamNation.com on your phone and get a dollar off your beers. Introduce yourself to Dan Miller. Tell thanks for all he does for RamNation.com. I don't know about you, our, our running game, I don't think is formidable. It's serviceable. And I think you're going to have to really integrate Dante Wright, who is a multifaceted weapon out of the backfield, in the slot, get stretching the field downfield. He's got to be touching the ball a lot. Uh, I had double-digit touches in the, in this game. Yeah. And then, you know, and, and the defense, I mean, if they can make some strides tackling, which I think they will, I think we saw pretty much every team across the country struggle with tackling the first week that they were on the field, right? So you kind of give them a little bit of a pass there. They didn't have a they didn't have a scrimmage leading up to the to this game. So, but if you clean some of that up, if you you got to keep this Wyoming team to three touchdowns, Max. You know, yeah. I, I don't know if we're going to put up thirty points Thursday night. I just don't. Uh, so the defense really has to kind of set the tone. You're going to have to win the turnover battle, which we're already zero for one. Uh, we lost one turnover to none. Uh, we also lost in the penalties department. We had more penalties and more yard penalty yardage as well. So like, just it's like PTSD, man, right. <laughs> with the with all the reasons we lost under Bobo, but I'm not writing us off yet. I mean, Wyoming, yes, is a better team right now. They've proven it, but uh, I don't know if last week was a true indication of what the Ram team could be. And I mentioned it before we signed off last week. I said, I just don't, know if it if, if if it's going to be a true litmus test if we see them come out and flop i don't know if that's a true indication of what this team really can be and we did see them come out and flop and that being said i i think there are some true valid reasons why that happened and hopefully if we can get those cleaned up we go and beat wyoming and, and win that boot back it's been four years or three and a half point underdogs which is not always that's not easy to see at home uh, in a rivalry game to Wyoming. Remember all the years, Mike, where we were the dominant team in that series. And it almost became like, I mean, obviously CU clear cut became our number one hated mm-hmm. rival, right? Because yeah. that was who we loved taking down. We loved taking them down more than anybody. And we were just constantly beating Wyo year to year because they just were, they were, they were down at the time. And now the tables have turned you know, and, and for so long, we just didn't put that emphasis in the, on the border war. And they always have. I mean, this is always their what you would call, you know, their their big game. They put a huge emphasis on the boot and they should. And I I blame ourselves. I blame our our program for letting it slip like that. It should always have been one of your top goals every year and demand that you win that game. I remember, I'll never forget the story you said when McElwain lost the first the first game that they played in the border war his first year. And uh, he said, that's never going to happen again. And he circled yeah. it on his calendar and, and uh, he made sure the team knew that and, and they won the next year. So that's the kind of stuff that needs to happen, man. They need to get that boot back. And that needs to be step number one to turn the program around. I, you know, I agree in going back to McElwain. I mean, he got it. I mean, that's why he sold, you know, he sold these in-state linemen, you know, you look, you look at our, our linemen from, from those years when we were winning and going to bowl games. And I mean, they were all from Colorado and, and they put pride into it. And, and again, we went away from that the last few years and 
And I know that Coach Adazio is saying the right things, and, and I'm anxious to see, you know, how we come out on Thursday, you know, to see if it's, if it's something that he's truly instilling into our program and, and it's something that the kids are buying into because it, it, it hasn't been that way the last five years. You know, I remember the last time we did beat uh, Wyoming five years ago when we were there, you know, compared to the 215 win compared to the uh, 2013 win with, with Bibbs and, and all those guys under McElwain. I mean, the celebration on that was just unreal. I mean, they ran it like sprinted across, sprinted across the uh, field and grabbed that boot. And, you know, they're coming off that loss in 2012 and they just sprinted back to the corner where, where the opposing fans are at, where the CSU fans are at. And they were just, I mean, it was just a party. I mean, they were, the, the, the players were all going crazy. They were excited. I mean, they just were so bought into it. And then the two, 2015, it was much more subdued. You know, it was almost like, oh, well, yeah, we won it three years in a row. You know, big deal. It's it's Wyoming. Right. right. You know, and, and it, it just wasn't – there wasn't that excitement. Um, there wasn't that excitement with the program and, and the fans, you know, going on at that same time. It, it was it, – you know, it was uh, – yeah, it's kind of like the, the downfall – or, or, or the start of the downfall with our with our rivalry games. And so, again, I'm hoping, uh, you know, what Coach Adazio is saying is true and, and that they're backing this up and, and that they're going to, you know, hopefully flip this over as far as our rivals are concerned. Well, Mike, do you have a opinion on how this game might go? <laughs> well, every time I give a prediction, it's completely opposite. So... You know, I think we're going to play hard. Um, I think we're going to clean up some of those mistakes. I just, it, I think it depends on who's who's our QB one, as as they like to say on the twitters from the uh, CSU football team. If if we're one dimensional and can't pass the ball, then I, I don't I don't see us coming out on top. If we're able to 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 move the ball through the air, then open up the ground game. I think we could take a close game. I I can't say that I would put money on CSU. I, I have to believe that they're going to come out best foot forward and we're going to see their best effort. I think there will be some things cleaned up. Right now, I just think Wyoming has done a much better job preparing for us and being mentally ready for us and uh, doing what it takes to beat us. I think they've proven to be a tougher team over the years, most recent years. And uh, even with a redshirt freshman quarterback who's only played a couple games now, he has looked serviceable. He's looked, he's looked more than serviceable in the last two games when he filled in for Sean Chambers. And they've got a f- solid ground game. They've got a tough defense. So, and they're going to be ready to play. I mean, they're going to want to smack us. They, yeah. they, they absolutely want to smack us. They probably want to beat us by five touchdowns. This is a you got to prove it to me kind of game. I cannot pick CSU to win another game until they start proving that that things are changing. I, I, I'm taking a wait and see. You know, if I had to bet on this game with a gun to my head, I would I would not put it on us. But um, do I think that means we don't have a shot? No, I definitely think we do. Um, things got to get drastically better, and I would love to see uh, Adazio start defending the home turf which is not something we've done for a while now. So uh, because when we are able to start attending games again, 
I want to be proud of, of, you know, I want, I want it to be very tough for a team to come in and win at canvas. And right now, I mean, geez, we rolled over for pretty much everybody on our own turf. It's building that new stadium. So the, the <laughs> best part of the, of those days should be the game and not our tailgate, <laughs> to be honest, that shouldn't be what we have to look forward to is, is the tailgate before the game and not the product on the field. It's been a long time since, uh, yeah, since the game was the highlight of, of game day. It really has been. Yeah. So. Hughes, sadly, since Hughes. It's been for sure since Hughes. Yeah. I think I got pretty excited about the uh, opener, Oregon State. But uh, beyond that, man, it's been yeah. a disappointment. So, well, let's hope for the best, Mike. Um, we're going to take a break here, and then I'm going to have my interview with Kelly Lyle. He's going to break down the game and also his thoughts on the, on what he saw against Fresno and, and what he, how he thinks uh, the game's going to go against Wyoming. So, Mike, thanks for joining us in this first segment. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Ram Nation Radio. This segment is brought to you by Ginger and Baker. The cafe is open. They've got great comfort food. And the cash, which is my favorite, they're also open. They're still serving on the rooftop. They've got heaters. They got a huge fireplace up there, and wonderful views of the River District. They've awesome food, awesome drinks, awesome people. What a great place Ginger and Baker is. If you're stressing about Thanksgiving dinner coming up here in a few weeks. Ginger and Baker is the easiest route to a stress-free, delicious Thanksgiving dinner. All you gotta do is call and place your order and have it taken care of for you. And also, as we enter the holiday season, consider Ginger and Baker for gift baskets for both family and friends and business gifts. Stop on over there. You will not be disappointed. Thanks to Ginger Graham for all that she does for RamNation.com. Let's support them as well. I'm happy to bring in our guest for today, Colorado and longtime reporter Kelly Lyle. How's it going, Joel? Hey, Kelly. How are you? Good, good. I'm glad you were able to squeeze us in today. I know you're busy. Gonna yeah, be they just kind of stuck us with... Uh... Kevin Lytle and I both got put on election duty, so. It'll be a long night for you? Oh, I don't know. We don't have to, like, actually be around while they're tabulating results, but we got to be out taking pictures and talking to people at polling sites till after they close. Yeah, yeah. So. This COVID era, you're definitely on your toes doing a lot of different things now, aren't you? Yeah, they definitely got us hopping, so. What were your thoughts on last week's game? I mean, a lot of the things that we saw as fans you know, getting off the field on third down, Fresno State converted 10 of 18 on, on third downs, many long ones. I think five of them were over 12 yards. yards. Yeah, yeah, 10 yards, something like that. And, uh, you know, CSU put the ball on the ground twice. They lost one of those, so they end up losing the turnover battle. They lost the penalties battle, and they lost by three touchdowns. So these are all the kind of things that frustrated Ram fans over the last five years with the last staff. You know, is it – yeah, a lot of people were treating it like doomsday, that here we go again, which is kind of understandable. Uh, but was this more of kind of a circumstantial thing where with a lot of things playing against CSU? You know, it's our first game. A lot of teams improved drastically from week one to week two. What, do you, what did you see? What do you think might be easily corrected of some of those flaws that we saw in week one? Uh, well, I wish I could say a lot of things looked easily correctable, but like, like CSU, like probably most fans out there, certainly the ones I heard from uh, following the game, it, it looked like just more of the same CSU team we've seen for the last several years. I mean, there were some different elements, the quarterback run with Todd Santeo, and, you know, you could see different things, but uh, that, you know, were maybe the mark of the new staff. But 
the key things that matter that win football games, they looked like they had not improved at all and maybe even digressed a little bit. And from the Mike Bobo era, especially the last couple of years of the Mike Bobo era. And that's a, that's not a good thing. I mean, it, it's kind of weird. Talk to them Monday, you know, the news conference, talk to Steve Adazio and the players. You'd think they won the game. I mean, hearing them, oh, you know, we just have a couple little things to tweak here and there. It's like you have some major issues that need to be fixed. And man, you know, it's, it's like what they say about people who are alcoholics or other things. You've, you've got to acknowledge the problem before you can start fixing it. So I'm a little concerned about whether they, they understand how bad things were and how much they need to fix. They're, it's not a little tweaking here and there. They need to make some wholesale improvements in a whole lot of different areas. And, you know, again, you pointed out, and I've seen it over the years, we all teams do can't can, they don't always, but they can make significant improvement from game one to game two. Maybe that'll happen, but Wyoming's a much better team than Fresno State based on what I've seen so far this year. They might have identical records, but Wyoming has been a better football team from what they've gone out and done. I mean, Hawaii crushed Fresno State in Fresno and then got crushed in Laramie last week by Wyoming. So, you know, Colorado State's about to go up against a team that beat the team that they got beat up on by three-plus touchdowns. That's that's not a good not a good uh, situation unless they can ma- have made some drastic improvement in a short period of time. I had a lot of the same thoughts you did as I listened to those press conferences, and it's I, my only thought was that they he's trying really to keep spirits up, confidence up, you know, talk about the good, minimize the bad. But and and there were some good things. Uh, did, what did you see that? that there was the build off of. I thought the defensive line looked pretty solid. I thought that the O-line was was serviceable for the most part. Um, you know, obviously they're missing a lot of weapons on, on offense, uh, but that defensive line was encouraging. And if they can continue to grow on defense that way and clean up some of those issues on the in the secondary and picking up guys out of the backfield. But, uh, you know, I think they can have some success. But did you see some, some building points like Adazio was – he was very careful in his words in his press conference and, and pointed out a lot of the good things. What did you see? You know, again, I did see, like you, I thought there were some good signs, especially out of the D-line. Scott Patchen, the transfer from Miami, certainly showed he can do some things. Uh, you know, uh, Rooks, I'm, I'm forgetting his hyphenated full name, but he looked decent. There, There's some new additions up there on the D-line that look like they can do some things, but then some of that enthusiasm I might've had got a little bit tempered when we just talked to Chuck Heater uh, an hour ago, a little more than an hour ago, defensive coordinator. And he suggested that a lot of those problems in the man coverage in the passing game were because the D line just didn't get the pressure they needed. Hmm. The linebackers blitzing just, he said they gave the quarterback too much time in those situations. Um, So at least in, his analysis on film review, he was a little less impressed with the D-line than maybe we were just watching the game. Um, I I do think, though, that that D-line has some potential to really build. I think they need more depth. I'm not sure why some of the guys we didn't see. Again, because Colorado State's not being very forthcoming about which players are out because of COVID, positive tests, quarantines, you just see guys that aren't there. I mean, 
why wasn't Devin Phillips in there? Well, I don't know. Maybe he was back here, right? You know, in quarantine, they didn't tell us. They told us about Dante Wright, Ty McCullough. Um, we just learned Trey McBride was not out of quarantine until two days before the game. Hmm. Um, obviously, that would have been a huge loss because I think he is probably the uh, the brightest star on that team right now, now that Warren Jackson has decided, uh, you know, not to play this season and to move on to the NFL to get ready for that next step. I think Dante Wright and Trey McBride are just critical to the success of this team. So, uh, you know, the secondary was a huge concern. I mean, it has been for a long time. Every time you start thinking, you know, there were signs last year that maybe it was starting to get better. You could see some occasional things that you liked, um, even in the midst of some struggles. And I felt like I didn't really see any signs that the secondary was improving in this game. Maybe they'll make some big strides again, again. You know, the one player that the coaches thought stood out, um, Chuck Keeter mentioned it today, was Quinn Brennan. Um, he's a safety, uh, actually out of Pleasanton, California, where I lived for about six years before coming back to Colorado. Um, nice guy, hardworking kid, uh, you know, but I watched him miss a couple tackles, too, that he should have made. Um, you know, your safeties can't miss tackles. <laughs> if you're going to have a good defense, safeties have got to make tackles. They can't dive at ankles and hope they get lucky. They need to be solid open field tacklers. And uh, Logan Stewart, Quinn Brennan, those guys have got to get better at that or this defense is really going to be in trouble um, because I don't think it's good enough up front necessarily to keep guys from getting into the secondary more often on the run or the pass. You know, Chuck Heater knows a heck of a lot more about football than I do, but what I saw was where, where CSU's defense got in trouble was when they allowed the quarterback to get outside the pocket. They just did not contain him, and that's when they made the plays. I mean, I thought that the defensive line was admirable most of the night, but the one issue we had was just could not keep that quarterback in the pocket. And when he got outside, that's gave a couple extra seconds to those receivers, and that's where you saw some breakdowns. But still, I was going to ask you about Chuck Heater, and, and I know offensive coordinator Joe, Joey Lynch, they just were on a press conference a little bit ago, which I unfortunately wasn't able to attend. But did he say anything else? Did, did Coach Heater say anything else about the lack of adjustments on that pass play out of the backfield of those running backs? How, why did this happen over and over again? What did we see it four times and there was not a defender within 10 yards? You know, I tried to get him to pinpoint that more too. I was like, is it execution? Is it assignment just not knowing the responsibilities is it or is it poor communication and he said it's a bit of all three which again is a little troubling that's not a little tweak here and there that's that's a major problem I think from talking to players you know we did uh, talk to uh, a couple defensive players yesterday I do think communication was a problem um, Logan Stewart being one of those players um there's a lot of still questions. I think there's still a little bit uncertainty on this team about who's supposed to make certain calls in certain situations. And that's something they've, they've definitely got to fix because even if they all do everything wrong, at least if they're all doing the same thing wrong, it's probably not going to be as disastrous as what we saw in this opening game. Um, you know, I, I forget it was uh, several years back. I remember, uh, I think it was Michael Sisson telling me that, you know, coaches used to always tell him, used to always say, you know, I'd rather have you do the wrong thing at a hundred miles per hour than the right thing at 60%, you know, <laughs> they, 
play hard, play fast, you know, trigger, do what you've got to do. And you know what, even if you're not in the right scheme and the right assignment, you're more likely to make a play that way than if you're just kind of looking around guessing what you're supposed to be doing and trying to figure it out after the ball's been snapped. Um, I think this defense really needs to adopt that mentality. You pointed out too that the quarterback outside the pocket, I think that's where Chuck Heater was the most concerned about the D-line is he talked about guys taking inside rush routes when they weren't supposed to, um, defensive ends. And, and obviously that is a problem. You've got to keep that quarterback contained if you're, especially if your D, your DBs are out on an island playing man coverage and against Fresno State receivers. Fresno State has a tradition of always having some pretty good receivers. And then the running back coming out, I mean, just killed them. I've, I, you know, I wondered partway through the game if uh, some of these Adazio coaches were so old school that they uh, were hearkening back to a day when running backs weren't eligible receivers or something. I don't know if that day ever existed, but it did make me wonder. These guys are, you know, these guys are older than me, which is uh, older than dirt these days. In the uh, post-game press conference, Coach Adazio had mentioned that the offense didn't really stick with their game plan. Did Coach Lynch say anything about that today on the press conference? Uh, what were his kind of overall impressions of, of how the offense performed? You know, he wasn't super forthcoming about what did or did not go right, other than that, you know, they just, again, some execution issues. He said there was a real concern, the O-line, there had been a pretty significant quarantine with 10 O-linemen, um, including all the starters, missed 10 days of practice. And they lost a lot of maybe their ability to you know, develop some of that continuity that you really have to have to have a successful O-line. I think that probably affected them a little bit. But I think that the mixed identity at quarterback hurt too is – you know, you've got two very different style quarterbacks you're working with in Todd Santeo and Patrick O'Brien. And I think that the back and forth during practices leading up to the game and then even in the game itself was a little bit kind of hurt some chances to build a little consistency and continuity because, yes, it may be the same offense. And Joey Lynch insisted both these guys can run our offense. Our offense is very versatile when I talked to him a little bit about that today, but we all saw the difference. They are very different style quarterbacks. Patrick O'Brien is a guy that's not going to move around in the pocket much, but boy, if you give him time, he's got a really strong arm and can throw the ball downfield. Todd Santeo is a guy with kind of happy feet who is going to, you know, maybe can make some plays in play action, but we didn't see it. His passes were mostly off target, except for the one EJ Scott dropped. That was his best pass of the game gets dropped by a receiver. Um, nevertheless, I think that they can, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's going to be hard to establish a true identity if you haven't figured out, if you're not a little more consistent in your quarterback play, who it's going to be, what we're going to do out of that. And, uh, I think that what we saw in that first quarter with Todd Santeo is what Steve Adazio wants this team to be, but I don't think he has the players right now to play that style he's playing with Mike Bobo recruits and Mike Bobo was recruiting for a very different type of offense than Steve Adazio wants to play. And I think it's going to make this year and probably even next year, a little bit awkward as they, if they're trying to transition into a very different style, I hope. And his history is that Joey Lynch is a guy that understands and can kind of 
adjust his schemes, adjust his play calling to the strengths of his offense. Um, so maybe with Dante right back this week um, and Ty McCullough back this week, maybe we will see a little bit better passing game because you certainly don't want Trey McBride to become nothing but a blocker. No. I was glad you brought up the quarterback situation there. What, what were your thoughts on how Coach Adazio played Coy all week last week? And, you know, he, he went from Monday saying we'll, we'll name someone within the next 24 hours. And Tuesday came, still didn't make an announcement there. Obviously, we're playing Coy and, and trying to keep that a secret from Fresno State. I've never been a fan of that. I don't think it necessarily does much for you outside of maybe the first or second series. But you were one of the guys that in the media that kept pressing him last week and again this week in the press conferences and he just again this week said he's not gonna he's not gonna share who's starting so I just what are your thoughts on do you like that I, I don't necessarily like that I don't think it does much for you you know I used to always think there was no big deal as long as the team and the coaching staff knew who the starter was going to be Steve Adazio insists that despite him not telling us the team knew well in advance I'm not sure they actually did um, it didn't seem that way to me based on everything we were seeing players telling us they were getting equal reps in practice. I don't think players were lying to us about that stuff. Um, I think that uh, from what I have seen in my years covering college sports teams, that unsure of your quarterback or competing right up to the opening day, when has that ever produced a good quarterback, at least at Colorado state? I, I haven't seen it. Um, you know, we had it, we've had it so many times with different pairs of quarterbacks here. And it seems like every one of those has led to a pretty disastrous season or not a very good season when they haven't said just right off the bat, this guy is my starter. This is who we're going to go with. He is the better quarterback. And yes, this guy is a good backup. We're going to train him to come in and fill in if need be, but this is our guy. I think it hurts the confidence of the quarterback himself and then the teammates in their confidence in that quarterback when you play these games where you're not going to say you know yes maybe in the team meeting they tell them you know Todd Sentio's our starter here's why but you know that some of those players wanted Patrick O'Brien to start for various reasons and then you know, I think it's, you just need a stronger voice that this is our guy. This is the guy I trust to go win football games. And, you know, if it doesn't work after a few games, then maybe you make a change, but I just don't like the the wishy-washy going into a season about who my quarterback's going to be. I've just, I've never seen it work well that way, at least at Colorado state. I think your colleague, Kevin Lytle had a pretty on the money column the other day about that's the situation that that created and uh, the dissension potentially with Patrick O'Brien. I I think something like that, when you've got a returning senior quarterback, who's unquestionably a quarterback's naturally the leader of a team, you could fracture some of the camaraderie and the cohesiveness of a team when you bench a returning senior starter like that, especially when you have a performance like Dottie had coming in in his debut which wasn't necessarily good. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out on Thursday. One of the things, Kelly, that had drove me crazy about uh, Coach Bobo was the notion that every game was a rivalry game, those kind of comments. You know, he was always hesitant to put too much emphasis on one game over another. Uh, and without really creating that culture of a, you know, a stressed importance of beating the likes of Wyoming or Air Force or CU, 
and you've got a large roster of out-of-state players, they just never seem to grasp the, the importance of those rivalries on their own. And it really showed in their, what, two for 13 record in rivalry games, whatever that was. Do you get the sense? I know that he's he said all the right things. Uh, Coach Adazio, um, he's, he's called Wyoming the team up north. you think he gets a sense of this border war? You know, I, I don't think he does, but I don't think it's from lack of trying. I think it's hard when you're a guy who's in background as East Coast, you haven't been around it. You haven't really had a chance to interact with boosters and fans because of all the COVID stuff since he got here. I did very much like hearing, um, and I forget which player told us this last week, but they have had a clock in the weight room counting down to this game since before the season started. That's the sign that you recognize that as a rivalry. Um, I think that's important. I think that what Craig Bull did at Wyoming, I think part of the reason Wyoming is always up for this game and has won four straight, they have a trophy case in the middle of their new locker room for the bronze boot. And they keep the boot there, but if, if it's taken away, that's an empty trophy case. And they are reminded every day that there's a reason that case is empty. It's because we didn't beat Colorado State. I, I think those kinds of things in a rivalry like this are important, um, especially when you're dealing with, you know, 18 to 22-year-olds, 23-year-olds. Let them get fired up. I, I just don't see – I have not seen an indication in a long, long, long time from a Colorado State team that they've ever been overhyped to play a game, that they've had too much energy. I know it can happen. I've seen it happen in other games around the country. I don't think I have ever felt that about a Colorado State team. I've usually felt the opposite, that they're flat. They just don't seem to care about this game. Why not? You know, what's wrong with them? I would do everything I could to get that level of emotion as high as I possibly And then if you have to turn it down a notch, make that adjustment. I think it's a lot easier than the even keel. We're going to, you know, no game matters any more than the other this game matters more. There's just no doubt about it. It matters more to you. It matters more to everybody in Fort Collins. It matters more to everybody in Laramie. It matters more to the alums and boosters of both schools, the former players, the former coaches, the former students. It's just, we all know it matters more. They're going to care a lot more about what happens. As bad as that Fresno State game was, if this Colorado State team goes out, beats Wyoming and wins back that bronze boot, nobody's going to be talking about that Fresno State loss anymore. They're going to talk about, hey, we got the boot back. You know, they're going to be pumped. They're going to be excited. Have you heard of if CSU has brought in anybody, former players, to kind of speak to the importance of this game? I know that uh, Wyoming brought in a prominent former player last year that gave an impassioned speech, got the team fired up. Uh, do you know? Have you heard that Coach Adazio has brought in anybody uh, to – to kind of relay the importance of this for alumni and, and former student athletes. You know, not only have I not heard about it, but I think with the various protocols that the conference has in place, I don't even think they could bring in somebody live. It'd have to be like a Zoom yeah. thing, like we're doing right now. Right. Because there's that inner bubble that's getting tested three times a week. And if you're not in that bubble, you know, you can't, you can't interact with the team type thing directly. So I think that's something that I, I think it's a really good, valuable thing when coaches have done that. 
Um, at least if you bring in the right guy, bring in the wrong guy, maybe not so much, but there are a lot of player people and a lot of them are right here in Fort Collins that are very impassioned about that rivalry. You don't have to look far. I mean, Kevin McDougal's office is, you know, half a mile from my house. He's a guy that would go in and get them fired up. And I live a mile from the stadium and his office is between my house and the stadium. So he could get there pretty easily and go give those guys a pep talk. Joel Dreesen would be happy to drive up from Denver. I mean, they don't have to look too hard to find guys. Heck, Sonny Lubick would probably come in if they'd let him, you know, he's, yeah. he's just across town. Um, I think they need more of that. I don't know that this year is the year you can do it, but I do like it when they do that. Well, looking specifically at the game Thursday night, first of all, in your gut, what do you think CSU is going to do with that quarterback situation? Uh, my gut tells me that uh, Steve Adazio is stubborn and uh, and he's going to start Todd Santeo again and try to prove that Todd Santeo is the better quarterback of the two um, and that he didn't make a mistake in starting him against Fresno State. I, I, I kind of hope I'm wrong on that because I think at least for the roster and the talent that this team has this year, Patrick O'Brien is going to get this team, this offense further than Todd Senteo. Maybe what you want to build two, three years from now, that's different, but you're playing to win this season. You're not trying, you know, forget about building for the future. That's what you do in the spring. That's what you do in the off season. Right now you're playing a football season and you're being paid $1.5 million as a head coach to go out and win some games. And uh, so my gut tells me he's going to be stubborn and we're going to see Todd Santeo again. And that it's probably, if, if we do see that, it could very likely fall apart again. And then the question will be how soon does he turn to Patrick O'Brien to try to rally him back? Um, certainly we saw it was way too late against Fresno state for it to even be a factor um, by that, by the time they brought, you know, there were seven minutes, 25 seconds left in the game and the Rams were down by, you know, 28 points. I think it was at the time it was, I think it was 38, 10 when he came in way too late, way, way too late. I, I would, if, if these guys, if you were all the stuff you were saying ahead of time that you trusted them both, you thought they were good. You should have made that change at halftime. You know, at the very least after the first drive of the third quarter, they should have been making that move. And then Patrick O'Brien would have had a chance to maybe rally this team to a win. But, uh, I, like I said, I, I hope I'm wrong, but I get the sense that Steve Adazio is a pretty stubborn guy and pretty determined to go prove that he did the right thing in game one with Todd Santeo and that we're going to see Todd Santeo again as the starter this week. So the I know you already mentioned that you think that Wyoming is a much better team than Fresno. Looking at the matchup, you know, you got Xavier Valade who ripped CSU up last year. He's coming off a huge game again against Hawaii. Can CSU contain him? And then you've got a, a redshirt freshman quarterback there who actually has filled in very well the last two games after Chambers went down. What are your thoughts on their offense? Can CSU contain them? And then can CSU move the ball in a very pretty stubborn Wyoming defense? Well, that's again where I think you're probably better off with Patrick O'Brien because Wyoming's run defense is stout. They are a good team against the run. They have been for a long time, partly because that's what they practice against every day, their own run game. You know, they're a team that pounds the ball inside 
And, you know, when you talk, Steve Adazio himself talks about that's what he wants to build at Colorado State. And one of the ways you do that, that helps your defense get better against the run, too, if your offense is a good running team. Wyoming has done that. That's who they've been. And then the play action can actually surprise people every once in a while. Um, And they're good enough to do that. But I think you have got to focus your efforts on shutting down that run game, whatever it takes. And you know what? As we saw last week, when they were trying to protect against both the pass and run, they still got beat every beat. So what do you have to lose? You know, yes, maybe you do give up a big play or two in a play action because you're overplaying the run. I still think that's a better strategy going into this game than to try to say, well, we're, you know, we're not going to let them pass. We're going to kind of bend, but not break. No, they will beat you to death if you try to play that type of defense. So I think they need to be aggressive against the run. Really, really be solid tacklers. You can't miss tackles. You look at what Valaday does, and it, it's kind of he's 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 kind of sneaky that way. He breaks a lot of tackles. I mean, yes, they give him some good blocking, but he kind of squirms his way out of a lot of tackles and gets a lot of post contact yards, especially for a guy that's not. It's not like he's he's not Marcus McElroy type build. He's a little bit slider, but. And then he's got speed that if he does get outside, you're in big trouble. So I think they really, really need to focus on stopping the run. And then on offense, I think they need to throw the ball. I think they're going to have way more success throwing the ball against Wyoming than they're going to have running the ball, at least at this stage in where they are as an offense. I mean, I've never been a fan of of the dual quarterback situation, but at this point, with ones not standing out, use Centeo in certain situations, but let your drop back passer, you know, get the bulk of the snaps. We'll see if they, they make a change there. It's going to be weird. Uh, I'll be, I'll see you up in the press box on Thursday night, but it'll be weird there with nobody in the stands. I, I wonder how that will affect how the team plays. There's obviously no home home crowd advantage for CSU, which is unfortunate. Uh, what are you expecting Thursday? You know, I'm really kind of curious to see it. Uh, certainly, I've watched some games on TV, college, NFL, with no fans in the stands. You know, we saw baseball season, the regular season was played with no fans in the stands. I'm, I'm really curious. I, I don't know. I think it's going to be a, you know, certainly it's going to kind of suck some of that energy out of the event. I think there's just a certain energy that a crowd brings, especially when you have a game like a border war, when you've got, you know, students chanting whatever they're going to chant and all these things. I, I think that's going to be really disappointing. And I think as a result, we might see a little bit flatter performance by both teams than we otherwise would if they had a little more of that energy. Um, it'll be interesting though, to see where it goes. I, I, I wish that Colorado State had maybe made a little more of an effort to try to get some fans in the stands. My understanding, you know, the state in Larimer County will allow it. They're pretty limited in what they'll allow, but they could have at least gotten players' families in. I think they should have tried harder to do that. My understanding is the leadership on campus itself, the pandemic preparedness team, was not was the one not wanting them to bring in outsiders. They are really focused on trying to get to that Thanksgiving break without having to go to remote instruction. And I think as a result, they're not going to allow any outsiders on campus. They're going to keep it to a bare minimum. I'm guessing that they weren't even happy about allowing media to come to this game. I'm sure they were trying to say, do we have to? (laughs) Um, 
you know, even though we're going to be wearing masks and kept entirely separate from the players and, but it would have been nice if they could have had some level of attendance. Are they going to pipe crowd noise in through the sound system or is that something that only happens to the TV feed? Because at least there would be some sort of noise atmosphere rather than just it sounding like a practice out there. You know, that's a good question. Uh, Kevin Lytle is actually working on a story a little bit to find out more about that. My understanding is it goes through the stadium PA system, as we saw with Major League Baseball, as we've seen. That's my understanding how the NFL has been doing it. Um, So I think that it will not be done by the TV. I think it will be done by CSU in the stadium so that the players at least will will hear that. It's not going to be the same, certainly, as real people out there cheering you on. Um, especially when you can look up and see your classmates, your mom, your brother, your sister, whoever it may be, and know that they're there. But it's probably better than just making it scrimmage-like and deathly silent. So um, I'm curious how that's going to go and kind of how they're going to handle that process. All right, last thing, CSU have a shot to win Thursday. Would, Would you have a prediction on how you think this game will go? You're going to really put me on the spot like that for Rams fans. <laughs> uh, my prediction is it's not going to go well, but uh, but I've certainly been wrong before. And in this particular rivalry, there have been some huge surprises in the last you know years or so when you're certain one team is significantly better and all of a sudden the game goes completely opposite. Um, so my gut feeling tells me the Rams are going to struggle. I don't think Wyoming's offense is good enough to put up a ton of points, but I think Wyoming's going to win this game kind of in a 28 to 28, 17, 28, 14, 28, 13 kind of fashion. I don't think there's a lot of Ram fans that would really blame you for that. In fact, I've seen our own fans already melting down. So I don't think there's anything to worry about there, but I think where we're all coming from is it sure would be nice to be pleasantly surprised been a long time since we have been and I think I think everyone can understand why things went south in game one there's a lot of things working against CSU and Fresno had a game under their belt they looked a heck of a lot better you know in in their week two so I I think what we're all just frustrated by is that just one week after another just the same old thing we're just never pleasantly surprised by something and hopefully this is the week that uh things turn around for for DSU. Yeah, I think it would be interesting to see Steve Adazio needs his team to play a lot better this week. Or yeah. I know this is an odd season, but boy, if they go out and lay another egg, the pressure is going to be on pretty yeah. badly for a coach who's only coached two games. Um, you know, I think it's going to, things could turn ugly pretty quick. So I think they, they, even if they lose the game, they need to put out a much better performance than they did in that opener in my mind. Right. Well, good stuff as always, Kelly. I really appreciate you squeezing us in. Good luck with your election coverage tonight. And I hope to do this again soon. I'll see you on Thursday. All right, thanks. You take care. Okay, pal. Thanks. Bye-bye. That was Kelly Lyle, longtime CSU beat reporter for the Fort Collins Coloradoan. And that will do it for this week's podcast. Hopefully we can see the Rams bounce back. You see it a lot in college football, especially in this year where there's just so many variables in the offseason camp or the preseason camp and things that really work against teams, the inability to really uh, work on tackling. CSU didn't even have a scrimmage leading into the uh, season. Coach Adazio said in the postgame press conference that he was concerned. He had some uh, concerns going into that game, and, and they actually played out <laughs> the way that he thought they might. But 
you know, there's there's a lot to be said for shaking off the rust, for seeing your team on the field, getting things fixed, and hopefully there will be some uh, some laser-like focus and a uh, lay it all on the line kind of effort on Thursday night from this football team, uh, from the seniors, you know, really making this push. Here's where we make our stand. We need to win this rivalry game and and take our first step forward to turning this program around. So. Let's uh, hope for the best. Looking forward to uh, recapping this next week. Thanks, everybody, for joining us as always. Thank you to Kelly Lyle. Thanks to Mike Rowe. And thanks to all you guys for listening. Go Rams.